Uh, what are we doing here? Just quick. Uh, Welcome so- to the podcast. All right, you can cut. <laughs> Thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> First off, thank all of you for being our listeners. If we didn't have like a backlog of podcasts and an audience, which is you all, we wouldn't have been able to get this really big ask because when people look at it, we look legit and official. We've been around for months now. Uh, I don't know exactly how long. So thank you to those who are listening. Like truly, we look at the numbers all the time. We love seeing how many of you are out there. Yeah. It's really, really exciting to see something that we just did as like, you bored? You want to do something? Uh-huh. Like back in what, February? February is our first so, episode. Yeah. So thanks to you guys, uh, we were able to get Jeffrey Snover on and this podcast. I still can't believe yeah. that. Uh, I, I can't believe that happened. The first like few minutes, and I don't know how much of what we're talking about is in the podcast, but like the first few minutes, you were just staring at me like, you don't know what you, you can understand that this is happening. It yeah, was amazing. Yeah. I had to break ice with you yeah. before breaking ice with him. I, uh, I'll, I'll put some clips up on, on YouTube and uh, boy, in, in the be- very beginning, like I can just so easily see how, how hard I am trying just to keep it together. Yeah. And I don't even know if I, I pulled that off. Jeffrey Snover is a chief technical officer at Microsoft. So he is one of the 10 technical fellows at Microsoft uh, out of the countless employees that work there. Yeah. Um. It, like, personal rapport with Bill Gates, Jeffrey Snover. Yeah, he's great. Um. And let's let's just get into it. Let's do it. Today we have someone that you are, uh, especially excited to talk to about technological things. I'm not familiar with. Uh huh. Yeah. Would, so would you like to be the one who introduces this gentleman, or would you like me to be the one who introduces him? Guys, we have. Microsoft uh, technical fellow. Um, we've got uh, an accomplished inventor. Uh, last 21 years, he's been at Microsoft. Um, he's currently serving, serving as the T- CTO um, over some what what really is amounting to the way that people are using. Uh, they're working together now. He's, he's over teams and, and what the, the remote workforce mobilization is going to look like. Um, he's also the greatest of all time. We've got Jeffrey Snover with us today. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Jeffrey. Greatest of all time. I like the sound of that. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started with some softball questions. Uh, these are just questions for me. They probably don't have much to do with that. I like dinosaurs a lot. That's just my thing. I'm a huge dinosaur fan. Jurassic Park movies. That's my thing. And it's it's completely okay if you're not. I think even if you're not a dinosaur fan, everyone has their favorite dinosaur, like the thing that they go with. I'm not going to ask your favorite. What I'm going to ask is, if these two dinosaurs were put into a ring, which do you think would come out on top? Now, we've got a Parasaurolophus, that is the uh, the horned lizard that makes a lot of oh, noise. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Or, now this this one's, or a Deinonychus. Now, Deinonychus is what the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park are modeled after. So it's a lot like that Velociraptor, big claw on the foot, meat-eating dinosaur, about the size of a human, can run pretty fast. Got it. How many? One-on-one? I'm going to say, I'm going to give it, I'll give you four Parasaurolophus against two Deinonychus. I'll make it a a two-to-one ratio. Oh, yeah. Well, depends upon the squad capabilities and skill set of the Parasaurolophus, whatever you called them. So I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with them. I think they will be able to get their act together, work as a team, get some stomping action go, make sort of like Velociraptor paste on the floor. See, uh, you're correct. I gave you a trick question to start. 
because a lot, not a lot, there's some scientists that theorize that within that horn, it was a, a, a bicameral chamber that was able to mix together two substances to create almost a dragon breathing effect. So now you've got four dragons against two Deinonychus. I'm going with dragons. You went with dragons. I think that's a great way of breaking the ice. Um, that's and why probably- I'm the technical fellow, my friend. And now <laughs> it's obvious you could be as well. Again, I am technical fellow material. I am. I yeah, match up to it. So there goes orange, the only orange question. Shirt. Orange shirt. Yep. Same facial hair structure. Your shuttle on. is waiting outside. It, my my H H H Triple H shuttle, right? Triple H three H. Triple eight. Eight eight. Triple eight. Sorry, Triple H is a wrestler, right? Yeah, Hunter Hearst Hemsley. Yeah, Hunter Hearst yeah. Hemsley. Uh-huh. His finisher is the pedigree. Wait, look, <laughs> we do a lot of wrestling and dinosaur content also, right? So, uh, Jeffrey, feel free to hop in with uh, your professional wrestling knowledge. I think he just did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Stand, stand did. the man Stasiak. Chief J. <laughs> Strombo. Yeah. yeah. You got it? Drop you got anything? Got any love for Chief J. Strongbow? Lou Albano? You got to know Lou Albano. Wow. No, this is going no. back. Are you out of your mind? Are you I'm sorry. You do not know your history. You, I don't know oh, if I no. can continue on. You do not know Lou Albano? Jeffrey, please school me. Captain Lou. Captain Lou was like the manager god. He started the whole enchilada. He was he, he was a guy who had like clothes pins in his cheeks with rubber bands hanging off him. And he was he was Cindy Lauper's manager. You know Cindy Lauper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rockstar. She was big into uh, wrestling. I had no idea. What? No. And Stan the Man Stasiak with the heart punch? I remember Stan the Man, but I don't... This, this is guy. This is Lou Albano. This is him. Oh, wow. This guy is crazy. I think he did some film, too, I think, right? Is oh. this? I feel like he... Did, is he a Super Mario brother? Yes. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, now now I know we've asked and answered. I think we're ready to wrap up the podcast. Yeah, I think, I think that's really everything. everything. Thank you, guys. This is a, a delicious cybersecurity explained podcast. I hope we've answered all your technical questions. Uh, and this is also the extent at which I feel useful. I might come in useful later, but this I'm pop culture and pop culture is me. Uh, <laughs> But I believe there's something more technical that you guys are going to speak about. Uh, Jeffrey, I am for for as long as as I've been working with PowerShell, I've 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 got to think about when when you originally came up with all this. Mm-hmm. How what year what year did was was the manifesto on PowerShell written? So let's see. I think I, I've got a version that was 2001, but it was like version 1.2. So it's probably year 2000. Okay, so I, came here. I, I have to know, all the way back then, you pitched this idea. I, I feel like there was so much audacity to um, the the magnitude and scope of, of how big PowerShell was, was going to come. And, and if that was all the way in 2000, you must have been the new kid on the Microsoft block, right? Absolutely, yep. So how do you summon up that kind of audacity to pitch a a a revolutionary idea and um what what was the room like how was how was your idea initially received when you started when you came up with the idea for powershell yeah sort of uh, analogous to like a really loud rip and fart in a prayer service okay sort of, sort of like that sort of like that yeah what? so you know think about it. you know so this is a gui company right a gui yeah. graphical user interface and basically like if they could turn a problem into a gui problem they would win because they had the best 
stack for doing GUIs, everything. So it was all about how do I turn this problem into a GUI problem? Happy days, happy days. And then I come in and I say, hey, well, we got to stop using these GUIs. We need command line interfaces. Yeah. Not greeted as a uh, liberator, not at all. That was not a, a welcome thing. But I, the thing that they missed that I hadn't focused was what success looked like. Right. And so a graphical user interface, which is just you and a machine, graphical user interface is your friend. It's awesome. Happy days, happy days. But that's not success, right? Success is, hey, this is great. I'm going to have 10 machines. I'm going to have 100 machines. I'm going to have 100,000 machines. I'm going to have a couple million machines. Now there, you can't be going to each machine, either physically or virtually with remote desktop, and manage that machine. You need group management. You need to know that, hey, I'm going to, like in a GUI, right? Oh, here's 500 steps that you need to do to provision a server. Now do it exactly the same way the next time. Not going to happen. Just not going to happen ever, ever, ever. So you need a way to say, hey, and by the way, also, it's a production server. You're going to go make some change. What are you going to do? I'm going to bring up a GUI and I'm going to click buttons. Well, I want to review what it is you're going to do. So can you walk me through that? No. Well, why not? Well, because to, to walk you through it, I got I to gotta click the buttons because otherwise I can't get to the next screen. It's like, well, no, no, no. I don't want you to click the buttons because I want to review it and make sure I'm going to get a group of people like review it, make sure it's going to be good. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. So so anyway, like, again, that's just not what a production environment looks like. So I just knew that you had to have these things. But I was not, not, not greeted as a, like the voice of reason. Yeah, it, it to me it felt like um, this was this was not a um, this didn't even feel like a Microsoft idea to me. Like when I I didn't start messing around with PowerShell until probably two thousand eight, um, but even then, like it, it felt like a a very Unixy kind of solution where like the focus is on this automate automation. It's moving us away from the wizards that we're used to. Um, when you when you pitch the idea, were people saying like Listen, Jeffrey, we we have the way that we deploy at scale. That's VB Script, and we've got uh, we've got Microsoft SMS to, to to solve those challenges. Or what was that conversation like? Yeah. So first off, I I really focused in on the command line interface, not so much the shell. And there again, it took me a long time. Took me a long time. I finally got there was one meeting where I finally got my executive to understand the importance. And then she said, "Which ten?" I said. Which 10 what? She said, well, which 10 commandlets should we do? Or commands should we do? I said, what, what do you mean? We got to do like thousands of them. She says, yeah, yeah, but we can't do thousands. So let's just do 10 to begin with. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be hard. <laughs> and so, uh, and then later, um, it turned out that there was a team that really had got funding to produce basically a Linux checkbox compete item. Like, oh, Linux has K-Shell, we need K-Shell. So let's just do port K-Shell to, to Windows. And I went to them and I said, hey, we can do better. Let me, I've been thinking about some ideas and uh, we can do better. And I tried to whiteboard for that. They didn't understand it. Talk, 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 talk. They didn't understand it. So, you know what? Just go away. Uh, and then I sort of put myself in an office, closed the door for a month, and came out. And I had about a 10,000 line demo that had all the core concepts of PowerShell. And I said, now let me explain it to you and let me show you what I mean. And when people saw it, their eyes just like 
boom. And even then, you know, um, the the way I got it funded was that there was someone who was trying to do, you know, just take any project that he could get, any any project he could, as long as he could get it happening in India, he would fund it, right? Because we were trying to grow the India Development yeah. Center. So this team liked the idea, and then we talked to that guy, and he said, "Yeah, I'll fund it as long as it's in India." So we tried that for the first eighteen months. It was a disaster, um, <laughs> but. But at the end of that 18 months, it had enough progress that people uh, in the Windows Server group said, ah, now I get it. This is important. This is strategic. Let's bring it back here and go do it. Okay, so so talk to me a little bit more about that conversation between 10 command, commands back then and yeah. thousands. How, how complete was your vision for... Um, all the different uh, all all the different points of management that that PowerShell was going to have. Yeah. So what happened was uh, I had gotten funding to do these. You know, contra- again, uh, it doesn't matter. We'll just throw some money at contractors to do this because it's so unimportant. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> Zigzag. I'll get it done. And so basically, I spent like. Well, okay, I'll say now it's so long ago, $4 million, $4 million with some contractors, and it ended up with like 60 commands, right? Uh, It's not very good. Okay, but 60 commands. So happy days. A bunch of the commands, you know, individual command line interfaces you have today. That was my initial project. But one of those commands I did was WMIC. I had another problem, which was, hey, I got this WMI, but there's no real value proposition for it, right? So somebody does all this work to write a WMI provider, and what do they see? Nothing. There's an API. So I said, oh, but if I had a command line interface for that, then you write a command provider, and you get a command line interface. You can show it to your boss. He's going to be happy, smile, give you a bonus, right? Otherwise, like, I have an API. I don't know what that means. Good work, bad work. I don't know. So (laughs) let's do that. And as I did that, the fact that WMI had a uniform object model allowed me to write this engine, single common parser driven through metadata. Originally, the team's like, I'll just write a bunch of scripts. Like, no, 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 no. We had had so many projects where we write this code. And then the test team's like, I can't I can't test it. Throw it away. It's like, what? What? Like, I just spent the last year on this code, and now you're saying throw it away? Yeah, because I can't test it, so you can't ship it. It's like, okay, that's not going to work. And I thought, well, you know what? HTML, you don't test, unit test every page. You test the engine, and then you feed the engine with something. So I said, oh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outsmart these test guys. I'm going to write an engine, and then they'll test that engine, but then I can go feed that engine with this metadata, and you don't need to test the metadata, okay? So design this thing. And then we had the core engine. And by the way, that, that one cost me like $40,000. And and then on a weekend, I know, sorry, on a Christmas vacation, I went and wrote this metadata for 72 of these commands. And they all came out perfectly uniform. And I said, oh my heavens, this is awesome, this engine approach. And I said, wait a second, give me some more money. I went and got some more money <laughs> and then added a whole bunch of extra capabilities and all 72 of those commandlets got a ton better in a uniform way. And I said, this is it, man. This is the best idea I've ever had. And that became the foundation of PowerShell. Uh, and then part of this was, you know, basically Bill Gates had been beating me up, beating me up, beating me up about <laughs> dot .NET, dot .NET, dot .NET. I was like, well, yeah. Bill, Bill, what are you talking about dot .NET? Like, uh, 
uh, customer's hair is on fire, and I'm pretty sure .NET is not going to put that out. That's not a bucket of water. They need management. .NET, .NET. I said, okay, well, I'll go try and understand what the heck he's talking about here. And so I started, I said, well, you know, I'll re-implement this WMIC with .NET, and then there'll be some extensions that I was interested in. And that's when I saw that .NET had the reflection model, and actually I could do that engine trick against not only WMI, but against all .NET objects, against SQL, against ADSI or uh, AAD, uh, and all these other object models, XML, and now we do it at JSON, et cetera. And it's like, ah, that's the magic. So, so if Bill Gates didn't beat you up about .NET, you wouldn't yeah. have this giant scope of PowerShell. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> and so then, so then I had the idea and tried to sell. That was when I, you know, had all those ideas. I wrote the prototype, convinced that team, and then I said, "Hey, let's go do this." And um, and I got demoted. <laughs> <laughs> no way, really? Why? Why? Absolutely. Uh, well, because I'd been hired in as this industry, you know, guru, right? Uh, I was leading all the management technologies and all the products. And then, you know, the guy who's like, you know, chief architect for, you know, 700 person group says, hey, I want to go work full time on this thing that at the time they're just like, what are you talking about? It's a checkbox. Linux has one. I want one. I'm just going to throw money at it. And we're going to do it in India because we're trying to grow some people. But this doesn't matter. It's like, no, no, no. It really matters. Like, no. It's like, well, you can go do that. But you, then you're not our industry guru. You're some guy messing around with something that doesn't matter. Oh, so wow. we're going to demote you. And so then it took me five years to get my position back. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So, well, let's talk a little bit more about that reception, right? Because um, my my perspective, the the thing that the thing that got me, you know, famous around my my little small town here is I was what what felt like an early adopter to PowerShell because uh, when when I when I thought about all of my technical peers, sysadmins, um, even even system engineers, I, I saw that people fit into these two categories you had sysadmins who they liked the gui they liked those wizards the the buttons that held their hand through things and then you had sys uh, and then you had engineers who they already had some uh, technical debt that was built up in their um the way that they were using vb script to interface with active directory for for example they didn't want to have to go back and and re-engineer all of their scripts to support now an object-oriented language that it, it was it was going to be complete starting over for them so there was this this gap. There was this thing that you, that you guys had pushed out that seemed powerful enough to call it PowerShell. It piqued our interest, and I and I became like this early adopter to uh, again early adopter. Talk to me about the reception amongst the people that you know need to use this stuff. The 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 system. The people who are managing technology at businesses. Yeah. So I think you nailed it exactly correct. There's a group of people that are very. Well, ungenerously call the click next admins uh -huh. who just you know just click next 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 and they can largely get their job done and they're happy they go home spend their nights and weekends with their family and kids etc and they're just not interested in investing in their careers they just want to click next and move on and that's that's fine it's great i mean it works uh but that's not my audience and, the, and the, those people that looked at this and said hey there's an opportunity here for you to do more to do a better job and they were just not interested at all 
But then there's a group who said, oh, what is this? Oh, this is fun. I mean, it's so much fun. I mean, that's the thing. It's fun. Anyway, the number of people who start off as sort of a click next admin picked up PowerShell. And I cannot tell you how many people have told me. And this is it's something weird. There's something I would love to drill into it. But the number of people who said, oh, you know, I started this and I got I was the hero of my company and my career just skyrocketed uh, and hear that story so many times. Yeah. But. The thing I hear over and over and over again is that their salary tripled, not doubled, wow. not, but the number of people who told me that their salary tripled because of PowerShell was just amazing. Now, actually now, so that's all great. That was sort of the Unix community, or sorry, the Windows community. What made me realize like, no, 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 we really got it. We really got it was a partner team. And uh, basically um, this was a Unix shop and some of the people there had heard about this thing PowerShell and they started to experiment with it. And they came to me and they said, you know, oh my God, you know, this is wonderful. And they said, we were so excited by the possibility of it that we were, we were so drunk with enthusiasm was their phrase that we began to distrust ourselves. So we decided we'd go show it to Carl. Carl was their black belt Unix admin. I mean, traditional Unix admin, right? Uh -huh. the belly, the suspenders, the beard, <laughs> the crumbs in it, you know, hates Bill Gates with a passion, like uh -huh. with a passion. And they're like, Carl, you know, we wanted to show you a tool and get your feedback, right? So, like, okay, what do you got? And they showed him this. And after 20 minutes, he's like, get me a Windows box. And they're like, sorry, what'd you say? And he says, I want a Windows box. I want to use this tool. I said, Carl, I can't believe that you'd want a Windows box. He's like, you don't get it. I don't give a crap about Linux. Uh, I don't give a crap about Windows. I don't give a crap about operating systems. I care about tools. And what you just showed me is by far the best tool. And I can do fantastic things. So if it means I got to put up with Windows to get that tool, I'll do it. For me, that was like ding, 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 ding. Yes, we are on to, we got, we got it. I bet Carl lost his mind when you added functionality for Bash. Well, and then, then when we ported it to Linux, right. now we can have the same shell across Windows or Linux. So what you're saying is I can use PowerShell to triple my salary. You can. That's all I Depends heard. on where you're starting. Is that one of the command lines? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm starting somewhere around I make 50 bucks a stand-up show. So... Mm -hmm. 150 a show's not too bad for me. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how many how many times that number came up. Haven't heard That's quadruple. Crazy. Yeah. Haven't haven't heard quadruple. Well, let me use PowerShell in a stand-up comedy performance and I'll let you know how it does. Maybe I'll quadruple the amount of people <laughs> who like it. <laughs> yeah. Lead with your PowerShell jokes to your yeah. room of <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um hey, uh what are your thoughts about this is a cybersecurity podcast. We talk we talk a lot about the threats that um, that all of our small business owners have to start accounting for and, and really taking um, building a strategy around how they're going to how, how they're going to work with that. Um, when oftentimes when we're discussing PowerShell on the podcast, we're talking about um, some living off the land technique that that hackers are starting to use and mm -hmm. they're, they're actually turning um, PowerShell against these businesses and using them uh, as a hacking tool that's that's built into everyone's computer. Just just talk to me about what your thoughts are about that problem. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I can say without reservation, you know, PowerShell is by far one of the most secure languages in the world. Right now, 
lot of people use it for bad things, but that's different, right? That's sort of like saying, you know, oh, I, I got a hammer. If I use a hammer against a tree, it's you know, great. If I use a hammer against you, not so good. It's not the hammer's fault, okay? So here's the thing you got to get in focus. I don't believe we have ever, ever found PowerShell to be the source of a, of a, of a, a vulnerability that PowerShell was used to break into a system. So what we're really talking about is PowerShell, sorry, the, the bad guys have somehow broken into a system. Now, once they've broken into the system, they can do anything with any language that they want. And it turns out that they're technologists just like your technologists, and they have their choice of tools, and they love PowerShell. So they use PowerShell because it's a great tool. Now, it turns out that that's to your benefit because if they used Python or if they used C or C++ or Java or any of these other languages, they could do exactly what they're doing with PowerShell. It would take them a lot more time and effort to do because it's harder to work with those languages, but they would be completely opaque to you. They would be doing all these things and you would not know it. Whereas with PowerShell, PowerShell is specifically designed. Look, I knew that the bad guys were going to try and use PowerShell. And so we have built security in from the get-go. We've built logging in from the get-go. We actually worked with the Windows team to design AMSI, the integration to uh, uh, any malware uh, agents with uh, PowerShell. So you are by far better off if a bad guy uses PowerShell to exploit your system because one, you can see it, two, you can catch them, and three, you can extra, you know, get rid of them. If they use any other language, good luck. Good yeah, luck. yeah. So this plays into we we talk a lot about uh, Citadel strategy for 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 dealing with compromises is it's a lot less focused on prevention and a, a lot more like the movie Home Alone. If you remember Macaulay Culkin in that movie, Kevin McAllister, he's not so worried about keeping the bad guys out. But once he's there, he's got all kinds of plans for what to do uh, when they get in. He's got tripwires and cans and uh, iron that falls on your head and all kinds of stuff like that. When the bad guys come in and they use PowerShell, because the auditing is so powerful, it is so quick for us to detect that activity. We can see where they're going, so we can we can head them off at the pass and then do a full remediation um f f from there on out it's absolutely it's almost like james bond coming in with an itinerary of what he's supposed to do that weekend and giving it to the people that he's interacting with <laughs> yeah yeah exactly by the way uh we have example after example and some of our partners have been public with this mandiant in fact was public with this yeah of, of where like they had a problem and it was blind and then they turned on PowerShell logging and it just popped up. So what had happened with Mandian was, you know, Mandian, they're like, you know, the black belts of, hey, when you're in trouble, the bad guys are in the wire, call Mandian, they help kind of clean it up. And so they've been called in to come in, clean it up, come in, clean it up. They got into this one site and like they couldn't, this was now a nation state in the wire, right? And they try this, they pivot, try this, pivot. Like, oh my God, we do not know what the heck they're doing. They turned on PowerShell logging and boom, just was immediately clear. They went into monitor mode, saw exactly how they were doing things, what they were going after, uh, et cetera, and then laid the groundwork, boom, extricated them. And they just, and they wrote it up. And by the way, similar to, let's see, I don't think I, I don't, I don't know how much I can share on this one, but 
basically uh, something similar happened where you know we do these uh, exercises. Well, I'll say it this way: we do these exercises, um, red teaming exercises, mm-hmm. and the red team had done been very successful, very successful, very successful, and then PowerShell logging and got them first time ever. First time ever. First time ever we got the the red team was when we turned on PowerShell logging. So no, so it's cool. uh, you know it's kind of. Uh, um, counterintuitive, like, oh, the, the bad people use it, therefore it must be bad. No, no, no. <laughs> they, they're just using it because just like you, they yeah, can do yeah. their best work with this tool, but uh, not anymore. And by the way, it's now sort of the, the uh, if you go to the security co- uh, conferences, they all, the phrase they use, by the way, if you've ever heard this phrase, PowerShell is dead, that's what, it's not PowerShell, the technology is dead. What they're saying, it's the security community, the InfoSec community. They're saying PowerShell is dead as a vector for exploiting system. Like anybody who uses PowerShell to exploit a system is considered a moron because uh, you just, that's stupid. You're going to get caught. It's like, it's like, it's like robbing a, a, a bank with your name uh, <laughs> written on your t-shirt. It's like, don't do that. Don't be a moron. And that's what the, the InfoSec basically considers anybody using PowerShell to exploit a system to be a moron. Now I'm going to change the weekend plans. Bummer. <laughs> Got to get a new shirt. <laughs> Got to get a new shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Jeffrey, um, I want to talk with you about your role in Teams. Maybe we'll turn that over to our, our resident Teams expert. I, mean, I, did, I did work with Teams. I had a very brief stint. The wonderful six-second commercial, which I can, I'll actually, I can email you the commercial as well. It's, it's a, if you just Google or YouTube Microsoft Teams commercial, it's 15 seconds total, 30 seconds total maybe, and and you won't even know where I am the whole time you watch it. But that's, that's technically me working for Microsoft. Can Teams. I, can I tell people I know you? Yeah, please. You're okay. gonna get, you're gonna get free drinks at the bar for that. Honestly, it happened to me. For life. Because I was, I was sitting at a bar when the nba finals were playing and it cuts to commercial and up pops microsoft teams commercial and then people at the bar were pointing at it and then pointing at me and it felt really amazing it happens to me every time brad pitts on some scene (laughs) right (laughs) look look it's him great job at once upon a time in hollywood by the way great job fantastic yeah oh man when i knocked bruce lee on his butt are you kidding Yes, he gets a reference. Oh, man. Please. <laughs> By the way, Tarantino was just on Joe Rogan talking about it. Great five-minute segment. Really explained the Cliff character. Oh, sorry. I'm not familiar with Joe Rogan. Is this some kind of like small-time podcast that you're talking about? It is. It, it, up and coming. Up and coming. <laughs> up and coming. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, problem, well, is, problem is, the guy doesn't wear orange shirts, so I'm not sure he's going to make it. Can't trust him. Can't trust him. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeffrey, the most obvious question there is to ask about this sort of workforce revolution uh, project that, you, that you're heading up at Microsoft today is, man, that pandemic sure did happen. Were you guys prepared for the amount of uh, of change that was going to happen to the way people did business? I'd say yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that we have a cloud architecture. I mean, one of the goals of a cloud architecture is that you can scale up and scale down. Um, that said, the rate of scaling up was so large, it's like, wait, where do you buy that many computers? Like, I need it. I need 100,000 servers now. Like, wow. now. And like, oh, well, I, oh uh, turns out I had a... <laughs> 
I just had forgot to turn them on. No, that doesn't happen, right? So, so combination of one, um, we had to we had to scramble to get capacity. So there's a scramble for capacity, but uh, it was shocking how much the the wheels stayed on the bus. You know, got a little wobbly here and there as the rates really went up, and we we would have to. There's an example where we. We had a basically countries would call us and say, we are in trouble. We need to get our, uh, our students to work from home uh, in two weeks. And so, OK, great. How many are we talking about? Like uh, four million. It's like what? Uh, what? what? Oh, yeah, four million in a couple of weeks. So, OK, well, OK, we'll find some servers somehow. And by the way, cloud scales up and it scales down. So often what we were doing is saying to sister teams, hey, you need to reduce your load you know, shut things down, become more efficient, et cetera, so we can steal your your hardware for, for this. But then we found out, oh, actually they did, the local ISPs did not have the bandwidth to, to support this. Wow. So literally we bought the equipment and we chartered a plane and got that, that equipment sent to that country to the ISP to install this networking hardware. So it really was a, a story of, of heroic things. You know, and so at some point, this was all hands on deck. At some point, they tapped me and said, Jeffrey, we need you to be the executive incident manager as we ramp up teams at midnight in, in, in Europe. So basically, I, I had to show up for duty at 3 a.m. in the morning and like, <laughs> okay, how are we doing? How are we doing? And, uh, you know, again, capacity at some point we should tell the story of the heroic things we did to really just keep things running because there's so many good stories there uh, but the software architecture this cloud stuff really does work it's amazing how, how okay so in 2000 you go and you have this harebrained idea to bring some kind of an automation language into into uh, windows natively and it becomes I mean, overwhelmingly successful. You can't get away from PowerShell today. It's it's everywhere. It's in billions of devices. You were just using PowerShell before we started this meeting. I didn't want my monitor screen to turn off, so I used a com object to just keep sending. Not important. Anyway, um, you go from that accomplishment to overseeing, boy, teams also it's 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 been a global force you've had so much success you missed windows server in there my friend by the way i want to be clear i don't want to lick the team's cookie there's the team's team sure i'm not their cto we we basically there was a small uh team within teams and now we've been you know basically it was focused in on taking teams and well, really M365, but to start with largely teams and then tune it for the needs of first line workers and vertical industries. Okay. okay. And then uh, uh, what had happened was I was in Windows Server and then, uh, you know, I guess two and a half years ago, I was like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You know, do I want to, am I going to end my career, you know, on this, right? Am I just going to like ride out this thing or do I have another do I have another trick? And you know, can can you be a multi-trick pony? Do I have another trick in the in the bag? And I thought, you know what? Let's see about. I, I wanted a new challenge, new technical challenge. So I came over to Office, focused in on AI, and then about a year and a half ago or so, uh, the head of Office tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jeffrey, I need you to go be CTO for this effort. And I was like, really? You know, at Microsoft, we got like 160,000 employees. We have 10 individual technical contributors. 
right? So when he says, I need you to go work on this, I'm thinking, wow, okay, that that that's obviously very important. What, why is this so important? And I got in here and I was like, oh, now I understand. And so this group really is leading a, a set of initiatives. And part of this is, again, taking M365 and tuning it for the needs for, for verticals and healthcare, or verticals and frontline workers. Let me give you an example. You're an information worker. I'm an information worker. We're teammates. I send you an IM. Uh, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you read it tomorrow, et cetera. You know, no, no big drama, right? But if I'm a nurse and I'm trying to call an on-call cardiologist, one, I don't want to know. I don't want to send it to Dr. Gupta. I want to send it to the on-call cardiologist because it changes between shifts, right? And so we want to send it to a, a role versus a person. And then like when something's going wrong, I don't want to just send it to, uh, you know, send it in a chat. I want to say this is an urgent message. As an urgent message, I want to ping you every two minutes. So here you can see there's chat and then there's chat for conducting business and it's different. And so that's what this team's doing. <clears throat> and so here's where it gets exciting. So all again, all it's like, well, okay, kind of feature here, feature there, et cetera. What's the, why would you put one of the 10 technical fellows in this area? And the answer is we really are on the vanguard of what I call Microsoft V3, okay? So Microsoft V1 was when Microsoft focused in on products, right? Mm -hmm. We compile the code, burn it on a CD-ROM. I remember going to a store and picking a box off the, the shelf, <laughs> yeah. and feeding floppies in, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and we focused in on products. And then, you know, it, when it didn't work, you know, you say, oh, I got problems. You know, Microsoft, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Look at my Porsche. You say it's crap code, but look at that Porsche. So I have no idea what you're talking about. So fundamentally, the teams were disconnected from the reality of their software. And, and a lot of that code was great, but a lot of that code was crap. And that completely transformed with Microsoft V2 when we said, hey, we're going to stop focusing on products or extend our focus from products to products and services. We take responsibility for the software actually running. So we install it, we configure it, we make it available, we secure it, you know, all that, we back it up. And it's like, oh yeah, that's really hard. By the way, Perry Clark owns a substrate and kind of core of Office 365, said, he's very generous. He said, shocked, he said, two years ago, he says, you know, Jeffrey, Microsoft never would have gotten to the cloud without PowerShell. Wow. Said, what? He says, no, it is the technology that allowed Microsoft to go to the cloud. I had never heard that perspective before, but then he laid it out as to why he felt that was. Anyway, so we had we were focused on products, then we focused in on services. And Microsoft V3, what our team is focused in on is outcomes, customer outcomes. It's not just enough that you can have a meeting. Is that meeting driving your business goals? Right? Is it help? Are you having an effective meeting? How do you advance your business? Uh, and that really is the a completely different game. Completely is this a different. meeting or is this an email? We have to know the difference between the two. There you Most go. of the time, it's an email and not a meeting. I I see. I'm tracking with this. I'm tracking. And, and I'm hearing lately like that that was the that was the complaint that we used to have, but. But Jeffrey, I think that we've we've changed we've changed the complaint about meetings now because now when we get the email, we say, "Couldn't you have just sent this to me in Teams?" I, I, I here's here's my point, man. I'm more like the Carls. I'm get excited about the tool, the the work that you create. I consume and I get excited about it. He does weirdly. 
but but you're up here on this on this other level and i just i don't understand how there are challenges that excite you anymore i don't understand how you even how you how you find new challenges what's that next uh, mountain peak look like well it's the area of like how how do we shift to actually what our customer needs that's really hard Right. I mean, it's it's not so much a technical as much as a, like a, a customer connection issue. So, you know, Satya, by the way, says this all the time, like, hey, go figure out your customer, figure out what it takes to make them successful and give it to them. It turns out that's really hard, right? You got to have deep customer empathy. You got to go understand the customer, talk to them. And then, yes, there's a bunch of technology, bunch of systems problem, bunch of applications problem. Uh, those are pretty straightforward. Some of the AI stuff, less straightforward, but I, I, I remain involved in that stuff. So that's that's a lot of fun. That's so cool. That's th- this is this is amazing stuff. I I want to I want to change um, the topic here pretty pretty drastically. Um, Citadel Dinosaurs our company. again? Yeah, oh, back to dinosaurs. Right. Yeah, go ahead. But I was thinking, uh, just kidding. <laughs> I, I really want to talk about Jim, honestly. I really want to bring him up and how his mom and I would get along very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think after learning all these technical terms from you guys, I'm going to run around yelling people, hey, nice gooey computer you got there. And they're not going to know what I'm saying. And uh, I'm going to be honest. About 54 minutes ago, I had no idea that gooey wasn't a term for a very delicious brownie mm-hmm. when it comes to computers. Mm-hmm. Now I know. Wow. Wow. GUI is graphical user interface. It's what makes your computer look pretty and helps you click through. Did you think to search that? I actually I didn't. I don't use. I'm not a. I'm not a Bing guy. I hate. I hate to say it. I'm sorry. I I used Bing's competitor, Duck Duck, duck, duck Go. go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys made the same joke. You can't see his screen. Anyway. That's great. Um, so, so here's a here's a challenge that we have. It's not a it's not a technical challenge, um, but at, at Citadel, we're we're our whole organization is led by a female CEO. Females in technology that's underrepresented, right? It's certainly underrepresented in in cybersecurity. And I look to my family. I've got a little girl. She's growing up. It, do you have any any advice for for trying to like foster an imagination or a wonder in in technology careers, cybersecurity careers for these underserved demographics? Yeah, you know, I'll say this is there's something wrong here, and I'm not really sure what it is. You know, I was talking to Bill Lang. Bill is uh, he was the we've only had three uh, chief architects of Windows Server. Bill was the second one. Um, and and Bill and I worked together at Digital. Turns out a lot of senior technical people at Microsoft worked at Digital. And we were, I was like, hey, is it just my memory? Or or when we were at Digital, wasn't wasn't it like close to 50-50 or 60-40 uh, women and men? And he said, yeah, it was. And that something went wrong. So it's not always been this way. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be that there were a lot more women engineers uh, in computing. And then something went pear-shaped somewhere. Anyway, so uh, you know, women have a long history of of being in engineers and and in, in computing. And so we got to figure out, hey, what went wrong, and how do we fix it? I think part of this is, you know, some well, some people have hypothesized, you know, there are cultural elements, right? Sort of this bro tech thing or whatever. Just you know, basically, let me just say it this way: people being jerks to one another. Right? It's not that <laughs> yeah. complicated, right? Like, stop being a jerk. Uh, and you know, some people ask about DevOps. Like, oh, DevOps, DevOps is this, that, or that. I said, you know, you're overthinking it. DevOps is really just two things: 
Do your work in small, frequent batches and stop being a jerk to your coworkers. So this idea of stop being a jerk, I think, uh, will solve a lot of problems. Because, no, I mean, I think you, you just have to look at the you know, what can happen with technology. And that that inspires everyone. And then when you go pursue it, like I, I follow a lot of women in InfoSec. And boy, there are apparently some really toxic jerks oh, yeah. in the InfoSec in world harassing these women. It's like, dudes, just stop it. So I don't know how we get them to stop it, but uh, but that's I think the the trick. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's it. Yeah. So Nate, why don't you take that one? Yeah, I'll take that one. Yeah. Um. So, Jeff, what is your experience in improv? Because you seem pretty quick on your feet. You got some wit there for sure. Just a, not not a lot. I don't want it to seem as though I'm putting myself down. Because you you've got a decent Wait, amount of wit there. Is zero, but I have a fun story. Scott Hanselman, do you know Scott? Rockstar I, Microsoft guy. He's always in the keynotes at DevDiv. Has a background in in stand-up. Interesting. Really? Oh yeah, it's one of the reasons why he's so such a rock star. You know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go back through this entire podcast and write down every name that you've mentioned, and they're next on my list of hey, can we get them on here? <laughs> yeah. yeah, can we? Can we get them to to chat? I, look, I I once again I came into this knowing nothing about PowerShell. I still don't really know too much because it's not a tool that I use. It's my world is all wordplay and making fun fast jokes. But it is super interesting to hear dinosaurs. how dinosaurs. Okay, so as a kid, that was like all I ever read uh, is like dinosaur books, space books, and chemistry books. And chemistry was the one thing that didn't stick. Uh, it's just super interesting to hear all this about PowerShell. And as you guys go back and forth, most of what you said, I have no idea what it means. But it sounds really fascinating. And I kind of pieced it together of you brought something that should not have existed in this world into the world. And he's excited that you did because it helped him with his work. And that's kind of the gist. If I take this whole hour into one story that is what I got from it, is that you were like, hey, I see something that no one else sees, and I I gotta make sure that this gets out there. And the more you played with it, the more you're like, gosh, I thought this was the most important thing, and now I think it's more important than that. We need to keep going, even when everyone else was like, come on, man, you you're just being dumb. What do you do? Apparently, you worked with a bunch of Italian mobsters. So <laughs> come on, man, this is so stupid. What is he doing Forget over about here? It. Forget about it. But you did, and it like. Yeah, it's really cool. And once again, I still don't know that much about the technical side of it, but the story of it is really cool. Je Jeffrey, you've got you've got all these successes that we're talking about, but that's hard for me to relate to because your successes are so high. I could relate to you if you had some big failures, though. Would you be willing to talk to us about some professional failures that you've had? You know, uh, there are so many. It's kind of hard to like pick, right? I mean, you basically fail all the time. I guess, you know, what's easier to do is to pick out categories of failures. And so I'd say that, you know, one of the biggest categories of failure that I've made largely in the first half of my career is focusing in on the technology and the outcome and not focusing in on the people. And I think that that meant that I wasn't a particularly uh, uh, good coworker. You know, hey, manufactured success, got stuff done. Uh, but if you actually look at my early reviews, the number of, you did like a word count, you know, one of those word map things, is that what they call them? Uh, yeah. The center of that word map would be the big phrase bulldozer. Um, 
And so, so that, you know, was not good. <laughs> and, and ultimately I think limited, uh, you know, my career. Uh, and when I finally figured out that, Hey, this is about just as much about, you know, people and making others successful and, uh, bring them along in the journey, uh, things, things changed. I think that was probably my, my biggest, uh, transformation by the way. So then part of it now to be specific at some point I decided, Oh, you know what? Um, worked on these projects that didn't have as much success as I thought it should because, in my view, the managers are making bad calls. So I said, well, you know what, I'm going to be the manager and then I'll make the right calls and we'll be successful. And at some point, you know, yeah, that was true. We did make some better calls and we had better, better success. But at the end of it, my heart really wasn't in management. My heart was in outcomes. And so I think, again, the people who worked for me didn't have, particularly have a good time. Um, and I think if you were want to be a manager, you should be, you know, just really love, you know, you should focus in on the people and focus in on their success. And I was more focused in on, on technical success and not team success. So mm -hmm. that was a big failure. And, and I've learned from that. And that's why I've never been a manager again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're, we're running up to the end of it. What... I would like to know what's that one piece of life advice that keeps coming up for you since you you do have these high successes you also have the failures that we didn't go into as much because I think the successes are cooler for right now the failures are what teaches you the successes are what shows us that you've learned from your failures so what's that one like that one piece of advice that you keep latching onto and coming back to yeah actually is uh, something my dad taught me and he said son <clears throat> things are never as good or as bad as they seem. So something's gonna happen in the moment and you're gonna be like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's like, no, no, it's good, but it isn't the greatest thing ever. Or, oh no, this is devastating. It's like, no, it isn't. It's gonna, anyway, so that that really cool. helps because, because in the moment, it's so easy to get overwhelmed like that's my personality type. I get overwhelmed by things uh, and then I react and and your reaction could be wrong and, and because you're reacting to this extreme, right? But when you have that, hey, it's not as good or as bad as it seems, which is to say have a healthy skepticism of your own perception of reality, then number one is allows you to, when you see this and you recognize like, ah, you can take a big deep breath, you know, deep breath, and then kind of ask yourself the question, well, is that true? And at probe, and then kind of better dial it in and then respond instead of react. So if you can manage yourself to recognize when you're going off the rails, take a pause and then figure out what you want and turn a reaction into a response, that'll change your world. I like Amazing. that. That's yeah. awesome. So I wish I'd end. known that. Wish wish I'd listened to this podcast 40 years ago. All <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm getting the jump on it.